Hey, welcome back, everybody. Time once again for another episode of WVU Marketing Communications Today. Brought to you by the good folks at West Virginia University's Marketing Communications Online Graduate Programs. A show that's set up to explore unique Marcom strategies that will help you inform, persuade, and inspire your audience with the man who always does all three of those each and every day, <laughs> Matthew Cummings. Hey, how are you? Inspire. Inspiring. Like, that's the one I liked. It, it's not enough to just inform. You got to no. persuade me. Is this really going to work? And then you got to well, inspire me because I know it works, but I don't. I'm too lazy. It's all about heart, Paul. It's how it is. It's all about that's right. love. If only we would just go back to that basic '60s tenant here that I grew up with as an old hippie. Here, only love can get us through this, right? You betcha. Hey, we have an exciting guest and an interesting show on tap today that I'm sure everyone will love. Rex Repass, president of Research America, is here to tell us about his lifelong interest in the effects of media and marketing on consumer decision-making, from the cars we drive to the candidates we support. Research America has 250 employees in the United States with locations in Philadelphia, Metro New York, Cincinnati, Detroit, Orlando, and Sacramento. Research America teams have designed and led market research and consumer insights projects for some of the leading corporations in the world, including Walgreens, Pfizer, Honda, Facebook, and Hilton Hotels. In addition, over the years, Rex and his teams have conducted public opinion and user experience research for more than 40 newspapers in the United States and Canada. Rex is also a lifelong entrepreneur. He has been an owner in three market research firms during his career. Companies he has led have been named to Inc. Magazine's annual list of the fastest-growing privately held companies in America multiple times. He's also a native West Virginian, native of Charleston, West Virginia. Rex remains close to his roots, and for many years he has directed the West Virginia Poll, sponsored by Metro News Radio Network. Rex received an undergraduate degree from Marshall University playing football for the Thundering Herd. In 2017, was named Distinguished Alumnus of Marshall College's Arts and Media. Rex also earned a master's in communications from the University of Tennessee with an emphasis in public opinion and advertising research methods. Rex, Thanks for making the time today. It's great to have you with us. Matt, it's a real pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. I want to start out and ask you to share with us how and why you became interested in public opinion research and market research. It started really at Marshall, being a journalism major in the mid-70s, graduating in 1976. I had an interest in the media, of course, and I wanted to have a specialty degree. So the dean at the time, Daryl Lemming at Marshall, recommended two universities to me. One was the University of Tennessee to get a master's in a unique field at the time, which was essentially public opinion and advertising research, and also at Boston University. And I was accepted at both, and I got a graduate assistantship at UT, which helped pay for my pay the way. That's what I decided to do, a unique and different aspect of marketing and communication, particularly 40 years ago. Absolutely. So that professor definitely had a profound impact on your career and uh, and what you wanted to pursue in grad school. Who, though, were mentors in business that were influential in your career and in the businesses that you helped to start? There are many. And I have to start as a young 20-something-year-old uh, in Charleston after finishing graduate school. It would be Charles Ryan. Charlie Ryan the founder of Charles Ryan Associates, uh, which mm -hmm. is the largest PR firm in the West Virginia area and also in Richmond, Virginia. I convinced Charlie that he should hire this poor 
graduate student <laughs> who had a, a unique capability, and Charlie and I started a business together not long after I finished graduate school and built that business from there. And then later, I met a fellow named Dan McGann, and Dan was a, a friend and also a West Virginian, but had a, a large PR firm in, in Washington that specialized in crisis communication. And he and I have partnered over the last 30 years on many, many different projects. And finally, with Research America, Rob Porter. Rob's our CEO, and Research America acquired the company, my company, in mm -hmm. Cincinnati uh, in 2016. And Rob is an inspirational business leader and has been, I think we've been a big influence on each other, and we've helped each other to grow Research America. What are some of the takeaways and the insights that you've learned from Charles and Dan and Rob over the years that, uh, that have really helped to influence who you are and how you run Research America? Well, I have a saying, and this is really from my early mid to late 20s, I have been an entrepreneur nearly all of my life. Mm -hmm. And just having the stick to and the persistence to be successful. Owning a business is hard work. Meeting a payroll yeah. is hard work that everyone and many people in life should have that experience. It makes you appreciate clients. It makes you appreciate the employees who work with you that really deliver the, the product to the companies that we serve. And it just gives you a sense of accomplishment to have your life in your hands, your career in your hands, your family right. in your hands, to be successful. And the careers of others, too. I mean, you have uh, multiple people relying on you and, and your success. That's great, great insight there. I know research can be broad. Has your career been focused more on political research, marketing research, or in another area? Early in my career, uh, it was certainly focused on political research. Uh, we started a, and when we started the company, we had uh, candidates coming to us in West Virginia, and mm -hmm. we also started doing polling early on for the largest daily newspaper in West Virginia in the mid-'80s. And we were able to kind of parlay that into the marketing research side of the business. I love the political research. We still do some of that as well. Yeah. But really what is most rewarding overall and where we spend most of our time is in corporate communications and marketing research. That's testing advertising concepts. That's evaluating new products. That's evaluating corporate reputation and issues related to companies. So that's where we spend most of our time in the whole area of the marketing research and consumer insights, dealing with advertising, marketing communications, product development, and product enhancement. When I moved to Cincinnati 30 years ago, the main reason I did so was to essentially build my business from Cincinnati. And, yep. and my biggest client was Procter & Gamble at the time. So mm -hmm. uh, they're the largest market researchers in the world, and I learned a ton from P&G. No shortage of products to test there either, or ad concepts for that matter. Uh, largest advertisers in the world and uh, the most consumer packaged goods uh, in the world. No doubt. So you mentioned some of those very rewarding experiences. What about some of the more challenging topics that you've been asked to research? Well, interestingly, on the challenge side, a lot of that has to do with the corporate reputation organizational reputation work that we've done. Uh, companies, good companies, have challenges all the time. Uh, mm -hmm. It may be a product recall. It might be something that has happened with the company in terms of a problem that has occurred or a employee situation or a, uh, a negative, some negative that takes place. 
And fortunately, we've been able to help companies sort of repair uh, their, their image and their reputation by really understanding stakeholders and what stakeholders think and how they feel about the issues and what the brand um, strengths and equities are of that company. So when they're damaged by a crisis of some kind, we can go in and help them repair uh, over time by doing thorough and transparent research and then sharing that with the Marcom team to help them repair and build forward after a negative situation that's happened to an organization. Mm-hmm. So those are very challenging. It reminds me of one of my favorite phrases when it comes to crisis communication is never to let a, a crisis go to waste and uh, you know really take it as an opportunity to emerge stronger on the other end. It's great that research can help uh, Marcom folks do that. It's definitely a part of the process, working with the Marcom teams internally, but also working with outside communications counsel and often working with their law firms as well, because sometimes mm-hmm. those situations turn into a litigation matter. And we have to understand, uh, not from a, um, a, a legal issues perspective, but a, a court of public opinion. How do right. you measure these issues related to the consumers that these companies are really serving? Is there a particular category of research, Rex, that interests you the most? I have I love anything related to advertising and why and how advertising impacts decision-making. That decision-making may be consideration of a product. It may be, be a brand building and brand awareness process. It may be introduction of a new category. And that stems all the way back from to my graduate school days and a mentor in graduate school that I stayed very close to for many years was a fellow named Jack Haskins who led the Communications Research Center at the University of Tennessee. He was a PhD, brilliant guy, but he had spent 15 years at Ford Motor Company as the marketing research director at Ford. And, and what he did really at Ford in the private sector was a, a test advertising, including the launch of new vehicles, including the launch of the, of the 64 and a half Ford Mustang. From Dr. Haskins, I learned about how to really understand the effects of advertising on behavior, uh, whether that's marketing a product or whether it's introducing a new brand or marketing a political candidate. So that area of research has always been very fascinating to me and something I really love. Can we stay on this topic for just a little bit? I think this will be definitely of interest to our students and those who listen who are planning marketing communications and advertising tactics and strategies. Um, so how does advertising, in a nutshell, impact how we think about brands and how we think about organizations? Give us the 30,000-foot view of that. Sure. If you think about the linear approach, how do consumers become aware of a product? First, it's some form of communication. Obviously, what generates the most awareness is paid advertising, whether that's now traditional advertising or digital media. Right. You know, building that awareness is the first step in the continuum that eventually leads to consideration and purchase of a product. And purchase can be anything from buying a car to shopping in your grocery store to making a decision about a health insurance provider that may be available to you. So the first step is really building that brand ID, building the brand awareness and building it around attributes that are the um, that are unique to that brand. 
as researchers, mm-hmm. as marketers, you're, they're certainly developing uh, campaigns around the strength of a brand. And what we're doing early on is evaluating what messaging is persuasive, what graphic elements are persuasive, which ads are most likable, and then building that awareness, which leads to consideration, which then leads to purchase intent, which, if satisfied, then leads to repeat purchase. So that is really the continuum from testing an ad concept using lot you know, testing lots of different ideas copy points graphic elements and then building the campaign and then evaluating the campaign based on uh, recall of ads but also based on return on investments and then uh, ultimately how is it impacting purchase and purchase purchase intent and ultimately purchase marketing 101 from rex repass i like it thank you so much we're going to take a quick break now we'll come back and talk about research and get some additional advice from Rex for those who are just getting started in their careers. Hang tight, we'll be right back. And yes, we will, after we just take a moment to tell you about two things that uh, you should definitely add to your uh, calendar or your list of things to check out online. One of them is the new online version of WVU's Integrate Conference. It's moved online like so many places have, where if you go there, you'll find marketing communication experts from a variety of industries who are exploring how and what to say during this crazy, unprecedented global pandemic. How do you talk to people? What do you say? And how should you communicate it? View the schedule and tune into the lineup of live virtual sessions at integrate.wvu.edu. That's integrate.wvu.edu. And after you do that, you might want to check out West Virginia University's new Digital Marketing Communications Master's Degree Program. It's fully online as well and can be completed in just a year. With built-in certifications from platforms like Google and Facebook, the platform gives you both the strategy and skills you need today to reach audiences on existing and emerging media like this. Learn more at Marketing Communications. That's plural. Marketingcommunications.wvu.com. All right, let's pick it back up with Matthew and his guest. And before we do, I just point out I went online myself prior to reading that spot about Integrate. I see there's a session coming up for those listening live Tuesday, August 4th at noon, high noon. They're going to talk about COVID kickoff, hyping virtual fans. That should be interesting. Excellent. Thank you, Paul. Okay. And we really teed up that advertising set for you, didn't we? <laughs> you sure did, I'm telling you. Thank here. you for those very persuasive messages about <laughs> WVU's program. I wanted to inspire people, not just persuade them. I want to inspire <laughs> them, too. Not just inform, but inspire people here. I had a question for your guest here. Is, is um, in an age when we are suddenly questioning after the last presidential election, uh, have they changed anything about how they're doing market research and polling and all this kind of stuff? Is Have we gotten any tighter on this or was there ever any doubt about it seems like after the election everybody would thought polls or and research was was suspect again here any any questions about any of that these days well i would love to address that question it's asked all the time and a real challenge really in 2016 was most of the polls that were reported and the people quoted whether voters or whether the media were national polls and the state polls were important, but they weren't reported as frequently as the national polls. 
If you look at the results of the really good public opinion surveys that were done by the NBC Wall Street Journal and CBS News and a couple of others, and you look at how close they actually predicted the popular vote, the popular vote was about 3 million votes difference with Hillary Clinton having 3 million more votes than Donald Trump. And the last polls prior to the election actually showed her ahead by about three percentage points. That equates to around 3 million votes. So if you look at popular vote, which is not how presidential elections are decided, then the polls were right. My advice and the advice of the American Association for Public Opinion Research is to pay more attention to state polls than national polls, particularly in swing states in 2020. Great insight. Great advice, too. Definitely have to check that out. What's the best source for that information, Rex, while we're on the topic? A good site is um, uh, Real Clear Politics, which looks at individual state polls and lists them by date, by methodology, by sample size. And so that is a good source. Nate Silver's website is also another good website. He grades the researchers on um, how they, how accurate they are and based on the methodologies that are used. The earlier question was also about how have market researchers and public opinion pollsters changed their methodologies um, over the last several years. Well, one area of importance is using hybrid methodologies for data collection. In other words, not simply telephone interviewing, but using online data collection and making sure an appropriate number of phone uh, and mobile phone interviews are included. But more and more research uh, these days is being conducted using online sample targeted to particular customers of a product or in the political world, likely voters. Switching gears back to your career, what are two or three of the most rewarding experiences that you've had? I've had so many, it's hard to pinpoint a few, <laughs> but I will. So that's a great question. Let me just mention three, okay? I had the great pleasure, and this was a West Virginia connection, Scott Drake, that led us to this work, to have a contract with the Hawaii Department of Health to do tobacco cessation research for three years. It meant I got to go to Honolulu six times. (laughs) (laughs) Say no more. That was a great situation. And certainly the work that, well, in the newspaper world, you mentioned that earlier, that we've done quite a bit of newspaper work back uh, several years ago. But uh, being an old journalism graduate, one of our clients was the San Francisco Examiner. And when we presented the research, we presented to the board And the chairman of the board was a fellow named Will Hurst, who happened to be the grandson of William Randolph Hurst. Mm. So for me, as an undergrad journalism major, to be presenting to the San Francisco Examiner the research that our team had conducted, with Will Hurst being the key person in the room, was a lot of fun. And then finally, the most rewarding project was uh, my daughter, our oldest daughter, Megan Pope, is our director of qualitative research. And a few years ago, we did work for a medical device company developing a new technology, and we had to do research with doctors. And they wanted to do the research in Paris. So for a week, we did research with English-speaking physicians in Paris with my daughter leading the focus groups and me watching Mm -hmm. behind a one-way mirror with our clients. And that was 
they, I kept pinching myself. How in the world did this happen? And <laughs> it was a thrill. And it still is the most exciting and rewarding experience that I've had in my professional life. That's a great story. No, three great stories, really. You had mentioned this earlier in our conversation about the value of owning a business and running a business and, and having your own success and that of your employees in, in your hands. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Why take the route of an entrepreneur versus working for a large corporation? After graduate school, I had that opportunity to go to work for a large company, actually in the automotive space. I did that for a year, and it was I felt trapped. I felt like I will never get ahead. Mm. <laughs> and that's when I always had this desire to do something unique with this degree that I had, which was unique in the late 70s. I've always been driven that way from almost day one of after finishing my formal education. And the challenge, it hasn't all been success, and it certainly hasn't been easy. It's tough working with financial institutions, particularly during the financial crisis, and making sure that you had the line of credit necessary to, to meet your uh, demands every month and mm-hmm. to basically you know, growing and hiring employees and growing business. I, I'm, I'm competitive. And I think being an entrepreneur, you have to be competitive and you have to win and you have to put the losses behind you really, really fast. You, we lose a, a, an opportunity with a, a big organization and we lost it to a worthy competitor. I'm upset about it. I don't like it because I'm competitive, but I turn that around really quickly the next morning and mm. start over. Okay, where do we go next? So that's part of it. And it's also looking at small business. You know, most of my business career has been relatively small business. And it's small businesses have a tough time succeeding. Only about half of them make it after the first year. And wow. few of them, I think less than 10% ever have billings over a million dollars. So that was always a goal. You know, can I make it to a million dollars in revenue? Can I make it to the next level and the next level? And when I was in my late 20s, I put together a list of personal and business goals, about 40 of them. And I've met, I've met some of them, and I haven't met some of those goals. 40? You know, that's how I think. That's how, you know, I think how uh, entrepreneurs are successful, and they roll quickly with the punch when you've had a, a bad news uh, outcome. Good advice. Out of all of that, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned from owning and running your own business? I think the biggest lesson is having the perseverance to go to the next day. You take every day at a time and have goals for that day or that week and persevere. We have a lot of negative news right now. It's a tough economy that we live in. This COVID-19 challenge is challenging for all of us. But having a positive vision and just persevering. And recognizing that failures are small bumps in the road you can overcome. That's just the way I think all, every day. And also having a passion for what you do. If you don't love this, you know, if you're a business owner of a, or in any, any job for that matter, you've got to love what you do. And I've always loved our product, the work that we do, but also love the business side of what we do. And it's fun. I'm passionate about it. I believe we make a difference in companies' lives, and we make a difference in the lives of our employees. And you've got to have that love and passion for what you do, uh, at least I believe so, uh, to be successful. 
So I want to wrap here with just one final question, and this is for for young professionals, emerging professionals, obviously those who listen to this and students in our grad programs are typically starting out in their careers or approaching middle part of their career. What advice do you have for them, and especially for someone who might be interested in getting into market research and consumer insights? Where do you start? First of all, understanding that the, the journey is long, but it's, don't be distracted by a barrier that comes up early in your career. We've all had mm-hmm. them, and, we've, and you've got to have the strength to overcome them. So it's a long journey. Make sure you love and are passionate about what you do. Make sure you're a lifelong learner, that you're learning about new techniques. I know the Marcom world is changing daily. It's hard to keep up with, and we're inundated with messages every day, and it's hard to break through. But be a lifelong learner. Understand every aspect, and particularly when any aspect of marketing or, or, or advertising. But if you're interested in consumer insights, you're curious. You're, you're empathetic. You want to understand why people make decisions that they do and learn every aspect of the business, from data collection to the analytics to the data science to now artificial intelligence and how that's growing into the being an important part of market research and be comfortable with math, which marketers aren't always <laughs> comfortable with math. And I am. I'm the weird guy who took journalism classes in college, but also took a five-hour calculus class. Right. And I think the important word there is be comfortable with. You don't have to be the expert, but you have to have, have that baseline knowledge so that you can speak the language. Great advice, Rex. Thank you so much for making the time and, and sharing it with us. And thank you for listening to WVU Marketing Communications today from West Virginia University. I hope you found today's episode as informative as I have. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Communications today, brought to you live from West Virginia University, a weekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice, only on the Funnel Radio Network for at-work listeners like you.